This is Crossroads, a Get Religion podcast. Here is a headline recently in the New York Times. In Rift with Biden, a dramatic show of force by a conservative Catholic movement. The story begins, Pope Francis and President Biden, both liberals, are the two most high-profile Roman Catholics in the world. But in the United States, neither of these men is determining the direction of the Catholic Church It's now a conservative movement, there's that term again, that decides how the Catholic Church asserts its power in America. What in the world is this story about? What is this conservative movement that the New York Times is talking about? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So where does this story, both the debate that's going on inside the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops and the media coverage of that group, where does it go next? That really is up to several different people, and... At this point, one of them isn't Joe Biden. Let's stop for a second and think about what Joe Biden has actually said on this issue before we move to the next step. Biden has taken a classic progressive Catholic position that was mapped out decades ago at Notre Dame University by the late Governor Mario Cuomo, who said classically, I am personally opposed to abortion But in the public square, I must honor my conscience and the conscience of my voters. I must represent the people who elected me, not the pope. And so that called to mind all kinds of things going all the way back to John F. Kennedy, talking to Houston clergy and saying, I have no intention of obeying the pope. (laughs) As several people have noted, one of the rare political promises that absolutely was kept, I mean, in the case of JFK. So here's how Biden, when he was asked about the bishop statement, he said, this is a private matter, and I'm not going to discuss it. Now, the problem there is that Roman Catholicism, to some degree, considers these issues private, but they're private between a Catholic and their confessor. And what they go to the confessor to do is to confess sins, And the concept of sin is based on what the Catholic Church teaches and then their actions. There's been some statements saying, well, if the Catholic bishops go after Biden on abortion, don't they have to go after all of the politicians who support the death penalty? Now, this gets into a really thick theological debate, which is the sort of thing newspapers don't want to discuss when they're talking politics. But the simple fact of the matter is, yes, Francis has made very strong statements about the death penalty, and so did the late saint Pope John Paul II. But neither one of them has raised it to the status of abortion in centuries and centuries of Catholic and ancient Christian teachings. So you get into ranking the sins at this point, you know, and is it possible to be pro-death penalty and then 
pro-abortion rights, which is Joe Biden for the vast majority of his career. Uh, I believe Joe Biden now has said that he's changed his mind on the death penalty. We may need to check that. But if that's the case, and he says, I've changed my mind on the death penalty because of Catholic teachings, the irony is that Francis would say the Catholic teaching that makes the death penalty wrong is the exact same teaching Francis has defended when it comes to abortion. I mean, this is the Pope who, in one classic quote a couple of years ago, compared abortion to hiring a mafia contract hitter to take out an unwanted life, which is a pretty strong quote. Uh, it would be nice to, for someone to ask Biden about that someday. But back to this thing about the death penalty and other sins, and do you go after all the other sinners the same way you go after Biden? You frequently say, well, what about I've heard people say, what about Newt Gingrich? Well, this gets us to the point where I want to stop this long, rambling answer. Newt Gingrich converted to become a Roman Catholic. I believe it was in 2009. And when you convert to Catholicism and then go into a Catholic marriage, I guarantee you he made what is referred to in the ancient church as a life confession. He would have sat down with a priest, and he would have worked his way through his life. And they would have discussed those multiple marriages. I'm sure they would have discussed his infidelities. They would have discussed a lot of sins. When Biden says this is a private matter, if he ever says this is a private matter between me and my priest— between me and my father confessor, that's the moment when this is going to get really interesting. Because that's going to move the issue completely into a private realm. It's going to move it into a realm where the priest can't discuss it, of course, because it's private and it's sacred. But at the same time, the priest can't even discuss that with his bishop. Yet at the same time, the bishop has every right, as the leader of the church in that area, to raise the issue of whether someone is continually supporting positions and actions that the church believes are mortal sin. Now, we can come back with some other things that flow out of that, but that's where I would leave it right now, because what's happened in terms of escalating this issue is that we have had a congressman crank this up to the next level beyond where Biden is. So my final answer to your question is the action of Ted Lieu, a congressman from California, is really the next step, the what comes next. Because this is the guy that tweeted out, Dear U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, I'm Catholic and I support contraception, a woman's right to choose, treatments for infertility, the right for people to get a divorce, the right for same-sex marriage. And here's the big sentence for canon lawyers. Next time I go to church, I dare you to deny me communion. Now, who is this man's bishop? He's in the Los Angeles area. His bishop is Archbishop Gomez, the leader of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. What does the archbishop do?
What does the congressman do? I've been searching online to find out if he went to church this past Sunday. Isn't this a crazy age when we have to say that it's news whether or not a congressman went to church, just like it is news when Biden goes to church, and that raises issues. But he's now thrown this down. Next time I go to church, I dare you to deny me communion. I don't think any canon lawyers would see that as a statement of direct contradiction of the church's teaching and raising the issue of communion. But one other thing, the reality, you started with the New York Times. If the congressman shows up at the front door of his church, who's going to bring camera crews, him or his priest? And in effect, who will the camera crews be supporting? So I was fascinated by something written by the uber-talented Clemente Lissy for Get Religion that I thought really was firing on all cylinders when it came to analyzing the media coverage of what has now become the firestorm surrounding that New York Times piece reaction from 60 senators who said, mm. we're Catholic. Congress we, people, not yeah, senators. Okay, yes, that's right. Congress yeah. people, you're Catholic, we're Catholic, and you are, you are bishops, but we're going to tell you what to do. There was also a tweet from another senator in this case who suggested revoking the Roman Catholic Church's tax-exempt status over something like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's becoming not only ridiculous, but almost farcical at this point. You know, people speaking on subjects for which they have either no authority or no knowledge, and they're sitting in the U.S. Senate or the U.S. House of Representatives. So what did you find in Clemente's piece there? Well, the statement from the 60 Congress people. The 60 members of Congress, I guess, would be the safer way to state it these days. Their statement was really, we believe the following about the sacredness of human life, but on the issue of abortion, we follow our own conscience. That's the Cuomo language. That's a flashback to the past. So to some degree, that letter means that some of those members of Congress may be kind of under watch, but they didn't, to use a big word right now, they didn't weaponize their opposition to the point and aim it right at the archbishop who is at the center of this issue. They didn't go that far. So at this point, I really think the next stage of the story is Gomez and how Gomez responds to this and how this this member of Congress who is lives in his archdiocese responds to this challenge and whether that takes it up to the next level. At that point, you're going to see other members of Congress throwing down similar gauntlets, and you're going to see then increasing pressures. Biden, I guarantee you, will sit back at that point. And, and like I said, if I expect him at some point to go beyond this is a private matter to say this is a matter between me and my priest, and I'm going to leave it there. At that point, his bishop then has to say, that's fine with me or not. Let me put this in context. Do you remember the famous statement? You only read it probably 666 million times in the press. When Francis said, when asked about a priest and homosexuality, and what's the status of that? And the Pope said very early in his papacy, who am I to judge? 
Now, I wrote a column about that that noted that a lot of conservatives were not that upset about what the Pope said. They were upset about the press coverage of what he said, because what the Pope said is, is if this man is seeking God, and if this man is, and he may use several things, that the implication was, if this man is going to confession, who am I to judge? In effect saying, it's between that man and his confessor. I don't know what he's saying now about his sexual orientation or his life or his sins or whatever. So you could say that Biden's next card is to play the who are you to judge card and say this is between me and my confessor. Do you get the point I'm making there? And that's different, though, from what's happened here now with this member of Congress from Los Angeles. What did you make of that New York Times piece referring to twice before they identified the group, identifying or describing the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops? And I think they voted somewhere in the neighborhood of three quarters, some majority. Seventy-five percent, seventy-five percent. Referring to them as a conservative movement before they finally came out and said, oh, by the way, we're talking about literally the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Well, well, you have to laugh out loud at that point. I mean, simply also to say that Biden— whatever kind of liberal Biden is on these matters, to say that he's the same kind of liberal on these matters as even Francis is just crazy at this point, trying to compare what they have both said about abortion and what they have said about the realities of sin in some of these cases. I mean, this is a pope who called gender confusion demonic on one occasion. I don't think that's something that you would hear out of Biden anytime soon. So the article, the most revealing thing that Clementi had in his piece was an actual question from the New York Times reporter from the virtual press conference with some of the bishops. And I don't like to get into personalities here, so I won't, but this was a recorded and some Catholic radio stations and others began circulating the actual recording. And listen to this. It opens by saying President Biden is clearly the most observant president in almost 50 years since Jimmy Carter. Interesting statement. What does observant mean in that point? Goes to mass regularly. I guess that's what observant means. And it seems he just isn't observant in ways that works for some of the conference, meaning the conference of bishops. He isn't observant in ways that work for some of the conference. An absolutely incredible statement. And then later, I've also talked to a lot of young people, and I'm wondering, what does this mean? Is this clearly a political message? It's undeniable. People said that. So what does it mean for a generation of Catholics to say, this is a church that has no place for President Joe Biden and has no place for me? Are you happy with a smaller, purer church? Now, that last statement is really interesting if you have followed Catholic history. The key person was Cardinal Ratzinger. Before he became Pope Benedict, he gave a lengthy interview in which he talked about the coming crisis in Catholicism, as whether Catholicism would stand up for what it believes and be willing to become a smaller, stronger church that has taken positions that it's now willing to advocate and live with the consequences. So 
whether she realizes it or not, that was actually a really good question for the divisions among the Catholic bishops at this point. And the the problem there is, in terms of national media, only one side of that debate is going to get covered, although there are some, of course, Catholic publications that are doing fascinating work covering some of the actual facts in these stories. I thought the most important thing that was missing from that particular New York Times story, unless I missed it and I read it twice, you cannot write that story without mentioning the canon law of the Roman Catholic Church. Canon 915 provides Catholics, quote, obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin, unquote, are to be denied communion. Manifest grave sin is a loaded phrase, to say the least. But Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, before he became Pope Benedict, took this on. And that brings us back to something you and I have talked about before, which is what is often called the McCarrick Doctrine. And McCarrick Doctrine, of course, is the fallen Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, who, when he was Archbishop of Washington, D.C., actually hid the contents of a letter from Ratzinger and misinterpreted them on this exact point, will we stop Catholic politicians who blatantly fight the teachings of the church at the level of political action? And it was John Kerry at that point, and abortion was the issue. And McCarrick said Cardinal Ratzinger basically wants it to be up to the local bishop, when what Ratzinger has said is, yes, it's up to the local bishop, but they do have the option of withholding communion. I believe I've paraphrased that accurately, but it was a that's in the past, but that's still what the bishops are divided on, and that's still what they're fighting about. So Terry, you were talking about canon law before, and that was missing from the New York Times piece that's kind of at the center of this maelstrom. Does the Times and other media outlets, does it have the responsibility to educate the reader on how the Roman Catholic Church sets its policies, and makes its decisions. I don't think that's how I would phrase this. I would say that for the reader to understand just the basic facts, they have to at least describe the process. As I was saying, how do you write this story without having at least some reference to the canon law and to the history of the debates about this issue of Catholic politicians and communion? I think I said in an earlier podcast, and I know I said at the blog, at this point, if you if you read one of these stories and there's no references to canon law and there's no reference to the McCarrick Doctrine and to Theodore McCarrick, the paper really isn't interested in letting you know the history of this debate, and, and they, they should. But then that raises the question of do you trust the publications to do that? Whenever... People tell me that the press don't, you know, don't like religion. They don't like religious people. They're prejudiced against religious people. I always stress that that isn't really what Get Religion has found over nearly 20 years and that I have found in my 40 years of studying this issue. The the press loves religion. They love religion that agrees with the positions of their editorial page. The defining reality is political, not doctrinal. So... To some degree, if you're asking the press to completely explain how the church debates these things and what the church believes, 
you're you're basically tempting the press to once again say there are good people in this debate and there are bad people in this debate and we get to tell you who is who i don't know at this point if we have many publications who could handle a fair accurate presentation of the beliefs on both sides of this issue and as you can imagine that upsets me greatly does that bring us back to the calorisms where in mm-hmm. effect the new york times in particular has at least in that form admitted for some issues and it does include abortion there's no two sides anymore there's only one side exactly. and we do not have an obligation to fairly represent both sides here and is that what's driving this kind of coverage of this subject and of course kellerism refers to statements that i wrote about long ago by the editor of the new york times bill keller who called himself a crashed or collapsed catholic so he was coming from a position of rejecting the teachings of the church within his own life as a catholic i mean so catholicism is the biggest game in town for journalists when it comes to politics even bigger politics and religion even bigger than white evangelicals and the southern baptist convention so we saw some improved coverage of the southern baptist convention the other day when it met i was pleased with most of the coverage with the exception of one new york times story in particular and the political framing and labels once again used there but we've seen some good coverage of the southern baptist convention I'm not seeing any right now in the coverage of what's actually going on with the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Trust me, if you read some of the alternative Catholic publications, including some by canon lawyers, etc., the bishops are not going to come out with a statement that says Joe Biden should be denied communion. If anything, they're going to have to back up one or two steps further. If we want to think about what comes next, Some people have said, well, maybe the bishop should back up and do an encyclical on the reality of sin. You know, because the evidence seems to be that the vast majority of Roman Catholics to one degree or another, maybe not Sunday morning active Catholics, but Roman Catholics in general seem to doubt whether there is such a thing as sin or whether the church has any right to tell them what sin is and what sin is not. And then looming behind that is whether any of them believe in hell. You may have also noted the um, headlines not that long ago, a year or two ago, when a poll came out from Pew that noted that 69% of American Catholics no longer believe that the bread and the wine are the body and blood of Christ. They've adopted a strictly Protestant position where they believe they're symbols of Jesus Christ. So, Let's back up. I mean, is there such a thing as sin? Is the Eucharist what the church claims it is? And thus, what does the church have to say about confession, the need to go to confession, and the need to wrestle with your sins before you go to communion? That's a lot of doctrine. And at this point, I'm not predicting that the um, press will go there. Wouldn't, wouldn't be a bad plan, though, if the bishops brought up those subjects, admitted they're problematic, and made that a part of this document. Walk people through that process from the viewpoint 
of centuries of teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Then we'd have to see how the press would cover it. With about a minute here, Terry, what's the next angle? Where should the media go next covering this story? I think it's in the House of Representatives right now. Everyone is watching to see what happens in Los Angeles. Will Archbishop Gomez say anything to get ahead of this? Will he make any statements? Will he invite the congressman to come see him? Come talk to me privately. Don't bring any cameras. Come to my office. Let's talk. Now, if he makes that public statement, then what does the congressman say back? So I think at this point, all eyes are on Los Angeles and on the 60 members of the House of Representatives who didn't go that far, as far as Congressman Lou, but certainly they've raised the issue. He weaponized it. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He is author of the Weekly on Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much for your time. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.